0: Boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Cause Shit Get Fit! This episode is a special episode with Dr. Nicholas Licameli, who I got connected to because of my book. He took the time to actually go through it and dissect it bit by bit, and honestly I thought it would be a great opportunity for him and I just to chat, and I clicked record just to see what we get. And. I just realized we had an awesome, awesome podcast episode chatting about the principles and methods behind my book with kind of like questions that I just came up with as the conversation was going. So this is a really laid back conversation of two professionals in the industry just talking shop. And honestly, I'm just going to let it play because it's pure gold. Here it is. Here's Nicholas. Enjoy.
1: Well, nice to finally sort of meet you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Through Skype, like how I do with everybody else.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Going? So uh, it's good. It's good. Um, you took some time. You uh, were, were away, right? When kind of. Yes, cool. I
0: went camping and then I went to Long Beach, California for the Perform
1: Better Summit. Nice. Yeah. Cool, man.
0: Where, where are you located again?
1: New Jersey. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Yep.
0: What's, what's the cool thing to do in New Jersey?
1: (laughs) Uh, well, it's depending on where you go. I'm kind of near like New York city. Okay. Uh, like 15 minutes from New York city. And then if you drive an hour one way, you could get into like mountains. If you drive an hour another way, you could be on the beach. Cool. So it really, uh, really it has a lot a lot of different things but oh, yeah. a lot of people a lot of people man a lot of traffic
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome
1: did you like grow
0: up in new jersey or
1: yeah yep. Okay. i grew up in new jersey grew up in the town i live in nutley um married my high school sweetheart from nutley and nice. then bought a house in nutley so wow born yeah. and raised that's awesome yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's kind How of about s- you um so i'm in vancouver british columbia in canada But, like, I always start with saying I'm from Vancouver because most people know where that is. I'm just kind of, like, in the suburbs, so I'm, like, 40 minutes away from downtown Vancouver Uh in a place called Langley. Um, But I immigrated to Canada from Poland when I was, like, three years old. But uh, that's kind of, like, a big thing in Canada. There's just a lot of immigrants that come over. And, yeah, it's, like, I've been in a lot of, like, different multicultural areas, so... A lot of my friends are from all over the world, which is kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, like, same kind of story as you. I married my high school sweetheart as well. So, yeah, there you go.
1: Hey, cool.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I don't even know how I want to kind of, like, do this because, like, I'm already recording, and it's kind of cool just to, like, chat and just see what we get, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> but I'm kind of, like, c- curious about, like, your background. Like, how did you get into the whole, like, fitness industry and the PT world?
1: Yeah, so I uh, I started out, uh, played football in high school, and kind of got into lifting weights that way. Um, I, I have an older brother, two years older than me, and we watched uh, Rocky probably about a thousand times, uh, and so we just always loved exercising, and uh, we never really knew much about it. We always just kind of followed what our coaches told us, and then we got into, uh, I got into the muscle magazine, so... Yeah. Got into muscle and fitness, and uh, I mean, my first muscle and fitness magazine that I got, it was I folded pages, I underlined, highlighted, I read that thing like uh, had to be over and over and over and over again, and and uh, it was just I was addicted. Like I loved learning, I, I just couldn't 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 absorb enough. Um, and then I realized I was. <laughs> i needed other sources like muscle and fitness just wasn't really doing it for me and and i just i got into physical therapy um through my father my father had physical therapy when i was younger i volunteered at a physical therapy place and then i pursued that as my career and it was kind of nice because i uh it, it fit fit nicely with with bodybuilding and and the science behind it and um yeah, so I think I got I got serious with with bodybuilding and fitness when I went into college, into undergrad, and uh, I was a biology major, and um, yeah, just was kind of diving into the magazines, and then I competed in 2013 in natural bodybuilding. That was my first my first competition. Really didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was just following whatever the biggest guy in the gym was doing, and and uh, I was I was searching for some kind of resource that would give me some kind of like scientific uh, approach to all this stuff, and then I stumbled upon 3DMJ, mm-hmm. and that was you know Eric Helms and and Brad Loomis, uh, you know Jeff Alberts, Alberto Nunez, Andre Valdez, and that just pretty much changed my whole approach to to fitness and bodybuilding. And then through them, I, I got introduced to other resources and it's just been um it's just been you know life changing since ever since then and then i started writing writing for different websites tony general was the nice. first uh yeah i reached out to tony when his son was born he he re, he was looking for some guest bloggers yeah so i said what the heck like it's a long shot like i've been following tony for for years now yeah. what the heck What's, what are the chances he's going to take one of my articles <laughs> and he accepted one of my articles and i was like oh my god like i had to pinch myself and so I wrote consistently for Tony for uh, probably like a year or two. And then uh, Andrea Valdez um, read an article of mine on Tony's website. And then I kind of connected with 3DMJ, wrote a couple guest blogs for them. And then they uh, another pinch me moment that I can't believe happened was they asked me to join the team as their um, kind of injury reduction guy. Uh, so that was absolutely Amazing and and uh, and so that's what I'm doing now. So since since then, now I um, I am writing for 3DMJ, I'm consulting with 3DMJ athletes who have pain, who have questions about different things, uh, and I also have some clients of my own now um, that I'm just consulting with online, and it's it's a dream come true. And I'm, I'm also my full time job. I'm a director of an outpatient physical therapy office uh, here in New Jersey. Cool. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of a, a mouthful. I, don't, I, hope no. I, lose, I hope I didn't lose. hope no. I didn't lose anyone. No, it's all um, good. Sometimes you ever see the movie Sixty One with Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle? No, I actually haven't seen it. <laughs> well, anyway, long story short, like Roger Maris is kind of like this uh, this boring kind of guy, like lives a normal life, and Mickey Mantle is like the rock star, like superstar, like goes out drinking and partying and stuff. And he's Mickey Mantle is trying to help Roger Maris get more. Like, be more of that like superstar kind of guy, and yeah. he's like, well, he's like, tell me a little bit about your life. He's like, tell me a little bit about yourself. And Roger Maris is just like, well, I, uh, you know, grew up in uh, Montana and uh, married my high school sweetheart, and 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 <laughs> Mickey Mantle's is just like. Yeah, you know what? Don't talk. It's yeah. better if, better if you don't talk. I Feel like that's my story. No, like, anyway, that's good. Like
0: um... I get like the best like people I talk to on my show are like I ask one question, they go off for twenty minutes, and then I'm like, all right, let's go on another question. As another twenty minutes goes by, and I'm like, sweet, I barely talked, and I have a full episode. <laughs> Those are the best, honestly. The worst is like I've had podcast interviews where. You know i'll ask a question they'll maybe answer it in like two minutes and then i try to like you know add a little bit to it so then they go (laughs) off even more but i had this one person where i I said something to add to the conversation he's like that's correct i was like all right so next question (laughs) it was was like pulling teeth but yeah i love people who could just talk my ear off but uh now kind of curious like about like your experience with bodybuilding like what are some common injuries that you see because like i used to train at a big box gym and like a lot of people were into bodybuilding and like the only common thing i really like remember is people always getting pec tears so i don't know (laughs) if it was like stuff to do with like the stuff they're injecting into them or they're just their volume is so much like i'm just kind of curious if like what happens to, like, the most common bodybuilders when it comes to injuries?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so if you, if you look at their research, bodybuilding is actually has one of the lowest injury rates. Uh, if you think about it compared to other sports, bodybuilding is pretty controlled um, as far as, like, your, your volume, your intensity, your load, the movements that you're doing. Very, very controlled for the most part and predictable. As opposed to something like soccer or rugby or football, um, or you know even like Olympic weightlifting, the, those types of things are more um, of a higher injury rate because you're cutting, you're you're reacting. There's things happening that you don't, you're, you're that you can't really predict. You could take a helmet to the knee. These types of things, um, you know, complicate complicate uh, the you know injuries. Bodybuilding for the most part can, unless it's like a freak thing where you know, your foot slips on the ground when you're doing a squat and and you have some kind of acute injury like that or like you said, you you have a pec tear uh, on a bench press or something. But usually what I see with bodybuilding is usually that's not the case. It's not usually like an acute injury. It's usually there were signs leading up to it. And um, and then it kind of manifests itself in an injury. And the the best thing that that you can do is kind of get to know your body, get to know its threshold, get to know your volume limitations, your um, intensity limitations, which exercises feel better for you, which ones don't feel that great, uh, which training split works best for you, what frequency works best for you, and all these different variables you can kind of find... up to it and it's kind of like maybe you feel some pain and then it goes away and you don't think about it or then it comes back and then it comes back and then all of a sudden it's this issue when it could have maybe been um you know stopped in the beginning with some simple modifications to to volume but like i said that's the beauty of bodybuilding is it's very easy to manipulate there are a lot of various steady variables uh, that you can manipulate uh, now that i think about it that's coming from me and i'm sure you you know understand understand that but not every person who lifts weights um thinks goes about it like that you know they don't maybe they don't know how much volume they do maybe they don't know they don't track all that although all those those variables and they may not even know those variables exist and they're able to be modified they may just take an extra a workout from a magazine and because arnold did it now they have to do it no matter what. Like if they have a ripping pain in their chest, like Arnold did 20 sets, we have to, you know, we have to do 20 yeah. sets. Um, so I'm making it sound overly, uh, you know, oversimplified, but, um, I guess it's just a, a matter of just learning, you know, learning as much as you can about these different, um, variables that you can modify during the training. And, um, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's probably the best, uh, the, uh, The best way to kind of go about injuries in in bodybuilding specifically
0: okay yeah it's kind of interesting because like you're the first like physical therapist i met that has like so much background in bodybuilding because all the physios i've met are like they just went into kinesiology or human kinetics and they're like okay i guess i'll become a physio and the only real exercise they've done is like hiking and running (laughs) <laughs> and like, sometimes, like, because I, I work with a chiropractor, and she does CrossFit, and, like, I lift, and I do all the active rehab with her for her patients, and, like, we get a lot of CrossFit patients, Olympic weightlifters, so it's, like, easier to kind of bridge the gap where they understand, like, us, and we understand them, whereas, like, again, like a physio who just runs... You go, okay, I'll do some, like, IMS in your knee, and hopefully that helps, but <laughs> um, it's kind of cool just seeing more, like, younger f- uh, physios and chiros that have a bigger exercise background, and I guess it will be kind of, like, I guess a question or just, like, up to discussion, like, do you feel like you have an advantage having a, like, better exercise background compared to, like, an older physio that has been in the game for, like, 30 years, but doesn't really exercise?
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think it it depends on on the patient. So I think uh, I would be probably at an advantage for that specific patient that is into weightlifting or is an athlete or into bodybuilding. Um, Not that I'm better than anyone else but just that that tends to be what I'm interested in and what I know the most about. Just like if if someone were um, interested in riding horses and they had back pain. I'm sure I could do a decent job treating them but i would probably want to refer them to someone who deals with equestrian you know uh, people who ride horses all the time um so uh yeah i think i think it's it's important that athletes like us know that that there are practitioners out there that understand them and will not just um you know when the patient comes into the office and says i have knee pain when i squat the immediate knee jerk reaction isn't um over stop squatting for four weeks take this anti-inflammatory and come back and see me you know uh we're we're better than that and the patient deserves or the client deserves better than that um clinical athlete is a fantastic resource that i uh, i'm active in and um I'm, I'm on their forum i follow their podcasts their webinars i uh, clinical athlete is a um uh a platform where Clinicians that have, um, you know, a background in sports and, and kind of understand the athlete, what they're going through, um, particularly powerlifting, weightlifting, bodybuilding, but even field sports, They um, there's a network of practitioners that have a, a, a map. And then you can kind of register yourself so that if, if you're looking for someone in your geographical area, you can click on the map and see who's in your area. Um, I'm not an official a clinician on that map but I do follow all their work um, and uh, there's like a whole process where you can um, it's not just like they you pay a fee and then you're on on the map as a as a clinician you have to um, submit research into the forum I, there's a whole process and then you can become a member on, on the map. That was just a huge, huge plug for a clinical athlete, but I can't, <laughs> I can't have that this conversation without mentioning them because, that's, um, you know, they they've done so much in in everything that that we're kind of talking about here. Yeah. Uh, but so the other thing though that I do I do want to mention is that, it is, it's kind of on on me almost, and it's on it's on all of us, that if, if an orthopedic surgeon, for example, doesn't really understand um, different modifications that a patient can use for a squat. That's on me because if I know that information, I should be out there telling them or explaining to them or have, grabbing lunch with them and saying like, hey, you know, kind of walking them through the process of, of the different squat variations that a patient may be able to do and still get a training effect and still strengthen the tissues um, without just completely stopping an exercise. Um, so I don't wanna sit here and make it sound like I am uh, just blaming uh, different practitioners and, and healthcare providers for not knowing these things because it's on me, it's on me to, to spread it and it's on everyone else that, that knows, you know, has, has this kind of mindset to spread it too. And um, and that's why you and I, you you and I uh, both. That's why we do what we do, right? That's why we try to get the message out, try to spread as much knowledge as we can, um, because you know we know we know in the end it's gonna it's gonna help it's gonna help people and, and especially athletes.
0: Now the other thing I'm kind of curious about is like, what's your like clinical model like? How do you treat if you're still treating patients in person?
1: Yeah, so it's it's definitely changed, definitely changed over the years, and. I noticed um, my my journey through physical therapy has been very, very similar to my journey through bodybuilding and my education in both of those areas. So like I just talked about before, my education and kind of journey through bodybuilding started with magazines, and then it was whatever the magazines gave me, and then it kind of progressed to the biggest guy in the gym, whatever he was doing, and then I kind of stumbled on a 3DMJ, but all through that journey, every time I would, I would learn something, whether it be the magazine or the biggest guy in the gym, I would implement it into my life. I mean, I would make it a way of life. I would do these things, um, that I thought had to be done, um, you know, as if it was gospel. And I I would just do it because that's just what was, what was known. Everyone was doing it. And, uh, and there was no other way. And physical therapy is very similar. So in school, they teach you to be more of a generalist because you have to pass your licensing exam here uh, in the United States, and you can go into anything from pediatrics uh, geriatrics uh, neuro rehab uh, outpatient you know, orthopedic things like that so it kind of gives you a general idea of it and then but it's very much um, very much like biomechanical uh almost like we are mechanics, and people are machines, and we have to fix them. Um, and then, when you graduate, you get a mentor, and you, you know, there's no reason for you to think the mentor, uh, no reason for you to question the mentor because you know that they are successful, they're they're good. You watch them, and and they're, um, you know, they're getting people better. And so you learn as much as you can from that mentor. And that's kind of like the biggest guy in the gym, right, with bodybuilding. It's just, you know, you're exposed to a certain area of, of, of physical therapists. And the most experienced one, you take whatever they say for for truth. And you, you model your life around it and model your treatment around it. And continuing education courses, it, it biases you to take different continuing education courses that, that fit that, um, you know, those... Uh, those, those practices that from, from your mentor, from whoever you happen to be with. And then uh, you happen to stumble upon a clinical athlete or um, other research, and you start to question the things that you think to be true. And it challenges you, and it's not easy. You know, it's never easy when when what you think to be true is challenged, and then you start implementing these small changes. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of where I'm at now. I've kind of changed some things in my treatment and the way I approach different things and the narratives I give to patients. Um, but basically, and it really depends, it really depends on the patient. Um, if, uh, you know, if someone rolls their ankle and it swells up and they're coming to see me, uh, that treatment is a lot different than some of the other things that we're going to talk about here. But, um, basically I try to start with, Whatever their goal is, so whatever their goal might be, whether if it's an athlete who wants to get back to squatting, or whether it's an older person who wants to be able to stand up from a chair without pain, um, usually we we kind of break the movement down. So we I try to find where where that pain, where that threshold is in that movement. So if it's a person trying to get up from a chair. Um, you know, we could modify it with putting a couple cushions on the chair to raise the seat up a little bit higher um, and then have them do that movement. If that's pain free, then we'll load that movement and we'll train it, and we'll keep training it. And then we'll try to lower it back again. We'll take the pad out and have them go down just from a normal chair. Um, and that 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 kind of process through graded exposure to that activity um, is really what I try to focus on. So not so much looking at someone as, you know, like, um, weak hips or, or, or a tight, uh, hip flexor or, or things like that. I kind of just take the person as a whole and take the movement that they want to accomplish and just break it down and then, um, try to break it down to its simplest form until we've reached a point where we can perform that movement without pain. And then we train that movement, however low level it may be, um, load that tissue, train that movement, and then through graded exposure, which just means like just gradually exposing that person like right up to that painful threshold and kind of seeing how that is, getting to that point right before that pain comes on, taking some deep breaths, letting the body understand that it's okay, you know, this 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 range of motion is okay, and then kind of working back up to that, that full movement. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the the basis of of the way that i look at treatment now obviously it's kind of like an over like very generalized approach and everyone is very different um but that's kind of where where i'm 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 what i'm kind of what my treatment's kind of looking like like now more modifying everyday activities um asking more about the patient as far as sleep quality stress um things like that because those those things what we're seeing in the research those things are so so important and, and have a huge impact on the pain experience and, and um i feel like that gets overlooked a lot of times especially in in physical therapy a lot of times people physical therapists look for what's wrong or impairments and the joke is uh, you don't know everything that's wrong with you until you go to physical therapy school <laughs> and it's so true it's so true um, you've uh, you know you get these assessments done and you next thing you know I I walk out of walk out of class and I'm focusing on my tibias rotating and my range of motion in my ankle and my asymmetry in my pelvis. And I'm like, my goodness, I can't even take a step without, without, uh, (laughs) without, you know, overthinking all this stuff. And, and that's, I just think that's the wrong message that we don't want to send. We don't want to do that to our patients. We don't want to make them feel like they're broken or like they're dysfunctional or like they're asymmetrical. And, um, you know, when we don't have very good research to support that, those things, can lead to pain, uh, or, or or decreased function. Um, so yeah, I I like to kind of, I could go on for days about that, but that's kind of, kind of the idea, uh, behind most of my treatment.
0: Do you ever use any, like, say, like, IMS needling or acupuncture, laser, shockwave, or any other of those
1: types of things in your practice? I don't, uh, I don't use those things. Um, I, uh, they're kind of all for me they all kind of get lumped together in um it, it can help it can help decrease some pain in the short term uh but I, I think there are better things that me as a physical therapist that that i can spend time on and that includes like strengthening and um you know getting that progressively strengthening and loading those tissues into the movements that the patients want to perform those modalities and the soft tissue release type things, it, there's not great evidence to support it. Um, but again, I think if, if the patient wants to do those things outside of, of seeing me, more power to them. I mean, if, if acupuncture is what is helping the patient kind of get out of an acute flare up, I, by all means, you know, acupuncture can help decrease pain in the short term. And I think uh, what the, the, the mechanism by which those things work is probably more just that it's kind of like an, a nonspecific global effect. Um, so, acupuncture, there is you're placed in a quiet room uh, most of the time, and someone is, is doing something to you. And. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's very therapeutic and it, it has like this, it takes you out of your everyday, your day-to-day kind of hustle. And I think there's something to that. I think that's probably uh, part of, of the reason why things like massage work. Um, and uh, so I don't use them unless the patient is coming in with this idea that those are the things that are going to help them get better. Um, I will spend a lot of my time educating them about the research and about why I don't typically use those things Um, but it's kind of like if you're meeting someone for the first time or meeting a group of people for the first time and you go you're on a first date say and you say hi nice to meet you I am uh," and I I think John Flagg from Clinical Athlete was the one who said this he said it's like going on a first date and saying hi my name is Nick I'm a vegan atheist crossfitter (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, whoa, 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 like that's, that, you know, that's way too much, like that you're giving me at once. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to just, someone comes in and says, oh, I've been going to a, car or a an acupuncturist or I've been getting this instrument assisted uh, soft tissue mobilization or dry needling for the past six months. The guy who does it to me is great. Um, what do you think about it? <laughs> I'm not going to say, oh, you know, there's no research to support that. And it's only, you know, I think we could do better things in here. Because, you know, I, my main goal is to help the patient, and I have to meet them where they're at. So if I do I, if I, if I do, do those things, uh, it comes along with the narrative that I just explained to you. Um, I'm, I would say, you know, I understand that you feel like this is going to help you, and um, I want you to know that it's probably more of a short-term relief of some pain and maybe some muscle tone. Uh, but what's really going to help in the long term is the strengthening and the exercises that we do afterwards um, we can definitely try it for now and see how you feel and but I think our time would be better spent doing other things and so I've done those things I've done manual therapy for those reasons but it always goes with the narrative um, if I I wouldn't I wouldn't do those things and and Use some kind of narrative that makes the patient think that I have magic hands, and they have to come back to me three times a week, or else their back's going to be out of alignment. Um, you know, I, I always, if I do those things, I I like to give the narrative that um, exactly as I as I understand it, and I think that that takes the keeps the locus of control on with the patient, and they feel like they they don't need me to get better; they just need me to guide them to get better they don't need my hands they don't need the, these needles they don't need this this electric stim machine or this ultrasound machine um they you know they have the power to help themselves and and i think that's the most important thing we can do to our patients
0: yeah i think the big like in my opinion Lisa's is like the missing link for like rehab is like actual movement and strengthening like you said and like Anytime when we have patients come into our clinic, they love the fact that they get to see me to go into the gym to do stuff that's specific to them, and they've been to other therapists that don't do that, and that's kind of like what we've seen, like, you know, after a couple sessions, they're already starting to feel better, and sometimes even if it's a person who's been going to the gym, it's just showing them a variation of a squat or a deadlift or something else that works better for them, and they're like, holy crap, I can finally feel my hamstrings and glutes. I'm like, good, there you go, just do that. Yeah, right. That's what exactly. I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And I think so. Let's take an example of a person who who has um, back pain during a squat. If if uh, if they come into me, first thing I would after screening for red flags and asking about um, you know sleep and, and stress and things like that, um, we would kind of go uh, start from the top. So let's try modifying your volume or let's try changing your position. Let's, Like you said, let's try maybe doing a a front squat instead of a back squat or moving your feet a little bit and then go from there. And then if that feels good, great, let's load that movement. And as you're going through that squat pattern, say a front squat feels better than a back squat or say a box squat or, or any kind of variation. If you can do that movement without pain, what you're doing is you're desensitizing that painful response right so you're you're letting your body know hey it's okay to go into this squat position without pain um one of the, my favorite uh analogies or metaphors to use um from uh uh jared maynard of clinical athlete again he gave a webinar and um he describes it like a pirate on a pirate ship and um, i'm sorry pirate it's been a long day. Um, a captain, a captain of a ship, and a first mate. So, say the captain is, uh, you know, he, he's he's steering the ship, and the first mate runs up and says, "Hey, you know, there there are lights and, and a ship in the distance." Now that the the captain now has a choice. You know, he can he can choose how he's going to respond to that, and his response depends on a couple different things. So, if he has Been in those waters in the past, and he knows that they're they're safe. He knows that there's no pirates in the area. He may tell the first mate, you know, it's okay. We don't have to do anything. We're good. We're good to go. We're familiar here. This is familiar territory. Um, On the other hand, if the captain is coming in with with previous beliefs, um, maybe he just watched a pirate movie, right? And he's coming in now, and the first mate says, "Hey, we have a ship." In the distance, what should we do? Now maybe the captain says, holy crap, like, all hands on deck, like, everyone get the cannons ready, and everyone on the boat, you know, gets gets ready for battle if they're fighting for their life, and then next thing you know, it's just a lighthouse or something, right? It's not. The point, though, is that the captain can choose to respond to that situation. So if the captain is hypersensitized to pirates, the way to desensitize him is to keep exposing him to those lights in the distance, let him realize like, Hey, like you see that was a lighthouse or there are lights in the distance again. And you know, it's just, uh, another small boat. So as the captain starts to see, okay, every time there's a light in the distance, that doesn't mean it's danger. Then he's not going to prepare for battle every time he sees something. Right. So that's basically the same thing that our bodies do that, that pain in our back. When we squat, um, our body is kind of like, if we're used to feeling that, it's kind of like walking through like a haunted house and we're all tense, right? Because we're waiting to get scared. Like we know it's gonna happen and we just don't know where it's gonna come from. So if we can kind of train our bodies with a different squat variation to get into that movement and groove that movement without feeling pain, that's like desensitizing that captain. And, and then we can work back up to our original squat and hopefully by that time, um, that painful response will be, will be limited. Um, I think the majority of, just like this is what prompted me when, when you said this, I think the majority of us in, in physical therapy start on the opposite direction. If someone comes in with back pain, they immediately start with these low-level you know, um, exercises like uh, bridges or, or clamshells or bird dogs or, or things like that. Where if it's a high-level athlete, you know maybe those aren't the first things we should do. If if the front squat is still painful, and the back squat is still painful, and a leg press is still painful, and a body weight squat is painful, then maybe that's it. You know maybe we try some of those lower level exercises. But I think I think most of us have it backwards, and we start with those low level "quote unquote" therapeutic exercises, um, and then I think we get stuck there i think we get stuck in like pt therapeutic exercise land and never progress up back to to the movement to that main movement that we want to get back to um so yeah i think uh i think a lot of us have it have it backwards and just like you said they're they're they like going to you because you get to get them in the gym and get them moving and they're like wow this is great i feel my hamstrings and and i think yeah i think They really appreciate it, and um, so yeah, I think most of us have it backwards because I think that's how we're trained. Though I think we're trained like that. Yeah, like that's yeah.
0: I was gonna say like it. It almost sounds like what you were talking earlier. This is what because when I went to perform better, Gray Cook kept using the language of like a movement experience that's a little bit different from what the painful pattern would be he's like you want to create a movement experience for the brain to kind of understand that this is a safe space and then he kind of layered on top like the breathing's a huge thing and like a lot of people can't breathe they're just terrible at it so it's like teaching people like their diaphragms part of breathing is like gold for a lot of people and like it almost gets them more motivated to like figure out how to use their diaphragm and not just like their entire chest and neck when <laughs> they take an inhale but yeah I just wanted to throw that out there
1: <laughs> yeah and even if even if that um even if just getting their mind off of the pain mm-hmm. and thinking about anything else that you know that in and of itself is is golden that's that's kind of what we want we want to do that's why i'm not a huge fan of asking people about their pain constantly Like, when they come in, what's your pain today? Zero to ten. Uh, You do an exercise. Okay, how does it feel? Better, worse, or same? What's your pain? Zero to ten. Uh, It's kind of like if you just went through a bad breakup and you were in your bed for a week in the fetal position eating ice cream, watching romantic comedies. (laughs) And then you go out, you get the courage to go out with your friends, and everyone's like, oh, how are you doing? Like what do you think yeah. your ex is doing? Like, I think I saw her on social media. Like, are you yeah. okay? Are you okay? How are you doing? Like, it's like, man, like, I'm just trying to get over this. Like, just, yeah. just chill out. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think sometimes getting the, the focus off of, of the pain itself, um, because really are we, are we in the, is our job to get rid of pain? If you think about it, pain is just a normal feeling that, we feel right people feel pain throughout their lives it's protective it's normal it's just like hunger thirst being or being cold or being warm Um, maybe what we we could be doing better is coping with pain educating about pain and helping people realize like hey you know you're gonna feel pain throughout your life it's okay it doesn't mean that you're broken Um, we don't have to ask is your pain a five today is it a four today let's just try to help you cope with this let's modify your your workspace. Let's modify how you're driving. Let's modify maybe your sleep position. Let's modify your squat, modify your deadlift. Um, are you Have you ever tried meditation? I You mentioned that you're stressed and you just lost your father and your your mother is sick. And Have you ever thought of talking to someone, speaking to a professional? You just seem like you may have some signs and symptoms of maybe some depression. It seems like you're going through a hard time. Um, all these things can impact your pain. Uh, I think having those kind of discussions, I think those are, um, you know, those those are are invaluable, um, definitely to to kind of the whole the whole pain experience.
0: So now I'm also kind of curious of this whole pain thing, because that was one of the things like we were chatting over about my book. Is like when you're with a patient and they're when if if you do ask them like, oh, how does that movement feel? And they're like, I feel pain. Do you have like? I don't know, When I see a patient or a client and I know they're dealing with, say, knee pain and I want them to try and exercise and I'm like, oh, is it painful? They're like, yes. I'm like, okay, is it sharp shooting pain or is it kind of just there? And when they say just there, I'm like, okay, that's okay. Just breathe through mm-hmm. and keep going and find a different position if it feels really uncomfortable. So I'm kind of curious what kind of language you use. Like, when is too much pain or bad pain, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because... You you want you want to you want to know about the pain, but you don't yeah. want to bring too much attention to it, yeah. right? So it's kind of like, uh, yeah, like you 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 wanna you wanna ask about it, but you don't wanna you wanna make all of the focus on it. Um, so I go about it very similar to how you just said. Um, I'll say, how did that feel? And then if they you know they say, oh, I had I felt it in my back a little bit. Okay, did you feel anything shooting into your leg? Did you feel? What did it feel like? Was it sharp? Was it achy? Okay, and then maybe that'll be like the first time that I that I'm seeing them, or the first time that they're explaining it to me. And then once I have an idea, okay, it's not that sharp shooting pain; it's just kind of like a dull ache. Maybe what what number out of ten would you say it was? Ten, like we have to go to the hospital. Zero is no pain. And that's about like a three. Okay. So then after that, now that I have all my different kind of information and different options that it could be. Maybe I wouldn't go as in depth next time I asked. Maybe I would just say, "How did that feel?" And I felt, you know, I felt okay. And and uh, I wouldn't really ask, "Okay, was it shooting? Was it this?" What What would you rate it zero to ten? I think I'd probably get a little bit of a baseline first, and then just kind of like uh, scratch the surface of of how it's feeling. And then, um, or I could also say, "Okay, I want you to uh, after you do this squat." I want you to let me know if it reproduces your pain down your leg or if it's more than like, you know, an eight out of 10. And then from then on that, that kind of is a narrows the chance of them giving me any feedback about their pain. So now they know, okay, if we're in this range, if it's not shooting down my leg, it's it's okay. You know, it's something we can work around. Um, but that just kind of comes with time and also, um, rough out also comes with knowing the patient right so if the patient is it may some patients may like to report their pain every time it may help them cope better some people may not want to think about it at all um and that comes with a good uh a good therapeutic alliance with with the patient and meeting them where they are because um, that's i tell you man that's the one thing i've learned is to listen, wait. You may not realize this now because I'm just talking and rambling on and on and on and on. But um, is listening more than more than I talk, and I can have a plan going in. I can think I know what I want to do, and what's based on the evidence, and that just does not jive with that person. And you have to kind of meet them where they are and and see see how what words to use how to use it how to use them um what tone to use the speed that you talk uh, all these things can can impact that so yeah i think i think it, it really depends um depends on the person i think asking too much about about the pain may give some people anxiety it may put some people's minds at ease um so yeah it, and I'm sure you've seen this too right like some people are just just so different you can have yeah. the same conversation with one person and and it can mean a completely different thing talking yeah, yeah. to another person for sure.
0: yeah like the other thing I'm kind of curious about too like I'm kind of just like scrolling through the little um, write-up you had for my book and like talking about like the F- FMS and like the SFMA I'm kind of curious about your opinion on them because like I've been following Great Cook for like I think since I started my career and like I know he's been trying to kind of kind of create the FMS as like the tool to have just as similar as like you using a blood pressure cuff to figure out your blood pressure and kind of put a standard on it. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what do you think of the FMS and SFMA? Like, is it a useful tool for you? Do you use it? Do you think other coaches should be using it and just kind of start the convo from there?
1: Sure. Yeah, so the I, I think I, I, I've been to... Um, some SFMA courses I I used to use the FMS all the time and what I what I love about it is just like you said it's it's trying to to do something that we desperately need in in our field and that is standardized diagnostic uh, standardized the way we get to a diagnosis and treatment because if you go to five different physical therapists back pain you're most likely have five different diagnoses and five different treatments (laughs) Um, so I love that that's what it's trying to do because it 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 would create consistency kind of like the medical field right like you said blood pressure if if someone comes in there is a way there's a standardized way to measure blood pressure Um, there's a standardized way to 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 test to see if you have an infection right if you if you test positive for an infection that, that test for the infection is reliable, uh, reliable and valid, then there's a set treatment for that specific infection that is also, um, evidence-based and, and research back to, to fight that infection. Um, and I haven't followed the FMS, uh, in, in a while. So, um, you know, I can't speak for what it is currently, but a few few years three three years ago maybe when i when i knew more about it um the research on on those kind of tests just falls short it falls short of of being able to diagnose these things um about uh injury prevention and and risk of injury it it's just it's it's too multifactorial uh, pain and, and dysfunction and injury is way too multifactorial to to pin down um, to something like uh, like a test or a standardized test there's just so even in in the injury prevention research um, we can't even agree on what an injury is so some studies uh, have an injury as a needing time off from from play uh, some some have it as just seeing the athletic trainer. Um, it's, it's, uh, some have contact injuries and some have non-contact injuries. So how is a screen supposed to, any, any screen, not the FMS, any screen supposed to predict if someone gets kicked in the side of the leg and when they're kicking a soccer ball? So the studies don't even have a good definition of injury to begin with. Um, and so it's hard, it's hard to, to even predict injury if we don't define it first. Um, and so the, uh, the, the test like the FMS, I, I like the idea and, and I, maybe someday we will have a test like that, but it just hasn't, has, hasn't stood up in the research to, to be able to, to, uh, judge risk of injury and every sport is so different, you know, soccer compared to weightlifting compared to hockey, um, something like the FMS, like the movements of the FMS, how can they possibly encompass everything in, in those sports? Um, and then uh, one of the other kind of critiques I have of the FMS is, and I used to do the FMS on athletes all the time. And looking back, I wonder what happens to a, an athlete that scores below a certain score or that scores badly on something like an inline lunge or an overhead squat. And then we explain to them, uh, you know, you, you scored poorly on this, uh, or you, you're, you're, you were below the cutoff score and you're at risk for injury. Does that make it like a self-fulfilling prophecy? So now does that person feel like they're at risk for injury and then that limit that impairs them during the game or during the, their you know, during their sport. Uh, and that's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to make the person feel like they're, they're at risk when we don't have, um, reliable tests to, to measure that. Um, kind of like I said, with physical therapy school, we don't know what's wrong with you until you go to physical therapy school. When I left that, um, SFMA course, like man, I was, I was overly analyzing every single part of my body that I scored poorly on. And, uh, and, and I, it just made me almost fearful and apprehensive and apprehensive to, to movement. Um, and it's one thing to create fear and, and apprehension to things like that. If the test is, um, is reliable because, if someone tests positive for a virus or for an infection or for cancer, you want to tell them, look, you are at risk for this. We have this treatment for it and this can help you. But this test that came up positive, we're pretty darn sure that this means that you have cancer. So X, Y, and Z, this is our treatment for it. Um, so in that situation, it's probably good to create some fear. Um, but with the tests that we have for physical function and for injury risk, we just don't have that. It's just not that um, that uh, reliable. So to spin that narrative using those tests, I don't know, the the research just, just isn't out there yet. As much as I would love to to have that paradigm shift of being able to put every patient through those tests and then find where they're at risk and and intervene. It's just, yeah, as much as I would want that to be true, the evidence just doesn't support it um, right now.
0: Yeah, because even when I got first certified through the FMS, like, I understood the scoring system, but it kind of just didn't add up to me. And then I started kind of modifying the FMS in a sense of, like, can they do the movement or not? And that's all I kind of look for. And then I always ask the person, how does the overhead squat feel? They're like, I'm tight in my back and my hips. I'm like, okay, move on. And then hurdle step. How do you, how does that one feel? I'm wobbling all over the place. I'm like, okay. And then you kind of just move on. And I kind of use it as just like a basis. And it gives Mm -hmm. me a blueprint of where the program's going to go. And then after like three months, most of the time when people are consistent, they're like, Oh, I feel better. Like my knees don't act up anymore. I'm like, perfect. I guess your program's working. Right. So I don't know, like, the scoring thing to me, like, especially with athletes, and if you tell, like, hey, this guy got 18 and this guy got 21, now that guy's <laughs> going to be competitive to, like, try to beat the system, right? So, right. I don't know, I, I always just look at it as, like, can they do it or not? And I don't even tell people what their score is, because I don't even write it down, I just want to see how they move, and I'm like, their squat looks like a melted candle, I'm like, okay, well, we're not back squatting today, like, let's work up to it, but... I think it's just a good basis just to see how people move and kind of just go from there.
1: Yeah. And yeah I, yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, I, in the fact that you kind of don't put too much emphasis on the score.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there are studies where they, they can, the patient or client would, would score, uh, at risk for injury. And then the tester would explain the criteria, the grading criteria and then the person would do the test again, and they wouldn't be at risk for injury. So how can someone be at risk for injury one minute, and then in the next minute, they're not, right? So that's just more toward how the you know the score can, can be misleading, and it's kind of like, well, what do we do with it? But so how you're saying, you kind of modify it, right? So you take some of the movements, they're basic foundational movements, right? Can someone do a lunge? Can someone perform a squat, right? Yeah, I mean, um, it's pretty much uh i think they're good if um they're good variations like to to the main function that the person's trying to do so there's always that principle of specificity so if someone wants to be able to squat but they have back pain the idea that doing a plank to strengthen the core um that will then transfer over to a better squat or a pain-free squat it's tough to say right because there's the the activity should be as specific as possible um the training should be as specific as possible to the activity that you want to do um if you want to be a running back in the nfl is it better to do like knee extensions in the gym to get your quad strong so that you can cut and run faster i mean you know whether would name the exercise like glute bridges or anything hamstring whatever um is your time better spent doing those movements or is it better spent just getting reps on the field right in in the actual movement you're going to do um, it's tough, tough to say, right? Because mm-hmm. there's there's a principle principle of specificity, but there's also transference, right? So we know that sometimes things do transfer over. Um, strengthening the the hamstrings transfers over to you know less, say ACL injuries, right? So there is transference, but it's tough it's tough to say. Um, so yeah, I think I think some movements in the FMS are good as long as they. Are closely related to the the, the goal of the patient. Um, the, the also if the the patient is a pretty high level lifter, um, if it, if it's their first time ever like squatting, like like you said, like you ask them to squat and it's like a melted candle, like a baby giraffe. But it's like yeah. oh my goodness, like <laughs> we're not putting weight on that today. Yeah. But if it's if it's a high level athlete who is not a, a a stranger to the squat rack, a bodyweight squat may not look great, but then once you put some weight onto it, then they kind of get into their groove and it kind of counterbalances a little bit and they can sink down to a beautiful squat with a little bit of weight on their back. But that bodyweight squat just looks awful. Um, I've seen that plenty of times. And um, so I think with that high level athlete, it's, it's kind of like we were talking about before you want to start with the top right? So if a back squat hurts, just try a different variation of a a back squat or lower the load a little bit or try a front squat. Um, because if you, if the, if we take them right down to the the bottom tier where it's kind of like body weight work and isolation work, it may not look great, but they may be able to tolerate more. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of stepwise, stepwise approach kind of looks from the top most complex way. And then kind of work our way down. Um, I think that that kind of covers covers our bases but um, I think that started with something with the with the FMS for sure (laughs) sorry about that
0: no it's all good and like (laughs) I think another thing too is like a lot of coaches are trying to always find something flashy to do with their clients when it's like really you just got to do something basic and like I always refer back to like Mike Boyle who's been training for a long long time and it's like the amount of athletes and general population people he's trained and he's been trying stuff with them to see what works and what doesn't and I think we can all say like a goblet squat is a pretty good exercise to do with most people because it's kind of self-correcting so I'm like thinking to myself like if Mike Bull's been doing that for 20 years with people and he hasn't been getting people injured by doing that exercise it's probably a good idea compared to like Mimicking sports-like movements with BOSU balls and bands and shit like
1: that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think um, part of that, I think, is from our culture today. Our culture today does not value the basics. Right? Yeah. The basics aren't going to get you a million followers on Instagram. What's going to get you a million followers is like you're saying, the I stand out on a BOSU. I just watched a video. I think it was Antonio Brown Uh He had like goggles, glasses on to blur his vision. He was standing one leg on a Bosu and he was catching footballs. Like, and it made like, it got so many views on like Instagram and everything or whatever. And, and I think, uh, I think we, it's, it's like anything else, right? Like, what, what's going to get more attention? Mm -hmm. The, the book that comes out that says, "Eat these five foods and you're going to burn fat and get a beach body because J Lo is on the cover and Beyonce is on the cover and they've yeah. done it and look at them," and that's going to be on the news. It's going to be on on uh, on in magazines. It's going to be promoted by Dr. Oz. What's gonna, so we have that versus the muscle and strength pyramid from Eric Helms?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So. <laughs> The muscle and strength pyramids basically say, like, look, the most important thing is adherence, and then there's this, and there's this, and there's this. But find what works for you, something you can adhere to, and it's just like, – there's no comparison of what's going to gain more traction and what's going to get more attention. The the easy, quick fix, sexy you know, headline versus, like, the, the muscle and strength pyramids, like, it – it's, it's not that the information's not out there. I think it just isn't valued in our, in our culture today. Like, it, they're always looking, we're always looking for that, that, that pill or that gold, that quick fix. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of times we look for that flashy, that flashy, um, that flashy uh, treatment or, or assessment. Um, and, and a lot of times things are, are motivated by money. So if, if someone gets put through a test and you say, Oh, you know, you're, you're below the, the score, you're at risk for injury. And that, but if you come to me, we can work on this and then we can get you out of that risk for injury. And it's like, okay, well, are you really trying to help the person? Or are you just trying to make, you know, make some money? And, and I think, uh, unfortunately, I think, I think a lot of people, uh, uh, kind of fall victim to that. Um, in, in every field, I guess, right? Not just, not just our field. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of times people look for that 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 sexy kind of quick fix type thing. Yeah.
0: Um, since we're coming up to an hour, like, and this was kind of like an indirect, informal podcast um, interview, I still want to have you plug your stuff on my show. <laughs> At the end of every episode, I always tell people like where they can find you online, if you have you know, books coming out, speaking conferences or anything else, like just go plug away and let people know where they can find you.
1: All right, cool, man. Yeah. Um, So first, I want to apologize if I just rambled on. I feel like I just, I just, I just love this stuff so much. And, and, uh, and I I want to also say that I I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm necessarily right or that I, I, uh, you know, I, I, everything everything that I, I learn, everything that I, I come across, I look at with my own blind spots and my own biases, right? So um, the things I said today could be proven wrong tomorrow. Um, and the things that I said today aren't 100% truth. They're just my, my own biased uh, way that I, I, I take in knowledge. So um, and, and I like that. I like hearing other opinions. I like all that stuff. So I, I'm not sitting here by any means thinking I I'm an expert I always like to be considered a student and I'm always trying to learn uh more and more so um sorry for the the rambling on a little bit but uh so where could where could you find me best place probably would be um have a YouTube channel Uh, I put a video out every every week Uh, my Instagram I put everything on my Instagram page uh, and also 3DMJ, so 3Dmusclejourney.com. That's the number three, uh, letter D, uh, musclejourney.com. Um, and uh, yeah, I do I do online uh, consulting um, with the goal of kind of just diving into to your program, seeing what you're doing, and then rolling out you know any any red flags, and then eventually. Uh, if, if, it comes to it, um, pointing you in the right direction to someone in your geographical area to, to kind of give you a, a full in-person, uh, evaluation because I I'm, I'm limited what I can do online, but, um, I've been able to help, you know, help as much as I can, uh, with online consulting. So, uh, you could shoot me an email, uh, or, or give me a direct message on Instagram. My email is, uh, N, DPT at Gmail. Um, you could probably put that somewhere uh, and uh, yeah so that's how to reach me if you have any questions any comments anything like that I'd love to uh, you know love to love to talk and yeah love to hear from anyone
0: alright well, that's going to wrap up episode 252 with Nicholas that was freaking awesome such a laid back guy and just a genuine person in the industry so definitely look him up if you want more of his stuff and super cool announcement. Today is the day that my official Cut the Shit Get Fit t-shirts are available. Hit the show notes. The link is inside. If you've been listening to this show or just started, support me by purchasing this t-shirt and showing it off at your local gym or out and about because it's summer and we have tank tops for the ladies. So please, please, please support the show These shirts are only going to be available for one week, and then I'm closing the link until next year because this was the three-year anniversary of my podcast. So thank you so much for every single one of you listening to my show since day one, the people who have jumped on most recently, and the people in between. So support the cause wear your t-shirt, spread the word, and I will be forever in your debt, and I will continue giving you the best fitness and health advice on the interwebs and everywhere in between. That's it for me. Until next time, you guys.